Welcome to the Education Marketing Leader Podcast with Chris Raposo. If you're looking to dive into the latest industry insights, draw inspiration from education success stories, or just want to sharpen your marketing skills, you're in the right place. Here, we bring you a diverse range of voices from experts and leaders in the field, offering you a unique blend of professional development and practical strategies. Whether you want to understand your audience better, stay updated with the latest tech trends in marketing, or expand your professional network, we've got you covered. So while you're driving on your morning commute or winding down after a busy day, let's explore the dynamic world of education marketing together. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Education Marketing Leader with Chris Raposo. I am your host, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming somebody you may be familiar with. His name is Harrison Campbell. A lot of new, a lot of you know him as Soup. Soup, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Super excited to be on with you today. So Soup is the head of community experience at ZME. Now we'll go a little bit into what ZME is, what ZME does, if you don't know, but let's do a little bit of background on Soup. So Soup has a master's in student affairs and higher ed leadership, and he's worked in higher ed for in various capacities for, for years and years until he joined ZME in 2018. So Soup, tell us a little bit about your journey into higher ed, why you chose the higher ed industry and why you ultimately decided to make a move to ZME. Yeah, absolutely. I think actually... You know, my career in education even goes back before I was actually on the college and university side. Um, originally, I was a middle school and high school social studies teacher, and um, I spent a few years teaching. And I think I was one of those that was thinking, I don't know if I'm crack, you know, if I if I can do this, if this is like what's for me. And um, and as many of us, I just stumbled into higher ed. I think so many of us that work in higher ed, we didn't plan on it. We just somehow found it and. Um, I was looking at making like a career change and seeing if, is there anything else I can do uh, besides teaching? And I saw a position posted at Indiana State University, this kind of entry-level admissions counselor, and I'm reading the job description. I'm like, this, this sounds like something I would love. It's still education. I'll still be working with students and, and parents. And so that's how I stumbled into higher ed. And I think I was maybe nine or 10 years on the higher ed side. And I was one of those that like, two years and then make a jump somewhere else to kind of climb up the ladder. And um, so enjoyed it. I absolutely love uh, higher ed, enrollment management, marketing, social. Much of my background really was doing some, some pretty cool, innovative things with leveraging social media to engage prospective students. And so with all of that and kind of my presence in the space of doing some of those things, one day out of the blue, I get this uh, LinkedIn message. As as we all know, we get many LinkedIn messages in our inbox. But it was this guy by the name of Adam Metcalf who you know founded this company called Zemi, and uh, he just hits me uh, up on LinkedIn and he you know soup. I just wanted to message you. You know, I'm sure we've run into each other at some conferences. He's like, I see all you know. I see all the cool stuff you do with social media. I just wanted to like just connect with you. Just wanted to have you in my network and. And so we just started having a conversation and it didn't take long before Adam was like, well, have you ever thought about coming over to the dark side and working for one of these, you know, companies? I was like, no, I really haven't. I don't know that I would even mm -hmm. like that because I just love being present, you know, with students and working. But 
long story short, um, he sure enough reeled me in and convinced me that this Zemi thing would be worth uh, taking a look at. And um, and really, I was I was intrigued too, right? Because I had been leveraging all these social platforms and all of them have limitations on what I could do, what I couldn't do. And here, Adam was giving me an opportunity to say, why don't you build the social? Why don't you join us and help us build the social platform that we all want, that we know students want, that we know our college professionals want? And that's when I made that leap of faith in 2018 to join Zemi. You didn't find higher ed, higher ed found you. And let's yeah. talk about also the power of LinkedIn, right? Because of your colleague, Tyler, I got connected with you and that's how you ended up on this show. But give me the 60 second elevator pitch on Zemi. What do you guys do? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Zemi has been around for about 10 years, but it's changed a lot. So when Adam originally founded the company, and he's a former educator as well, he's a former teacher, um, he was trying to create a new platform that gave his students an opportunity to showcase who they really are, right? And we know traditionally we've looked at students based on their SAT or ACT score, based on their high school transcript, um, but, but it doesn't tell the whole story. So Zemi began as this product um, where students could really show through video and images who they really are, bring their application to life. Uh, and in the early days of Zemi, that's what the platform was. Around 2017, a pivot and a shift was made. Students were telling us at the time what, what they really wanted was they wanted a place to connect with each other. Um, and I don't think they, you know, they were putting all this work into these digital portfolios. And if we're being honest, the colleges and universities really probably didn't have the bandwidth to, to look at all of those. And so I think um, Zemi knew we needed to make a shift. And so around 2017 and then into 2018, that pivot was made uh, to what we call Zemi Community, which is a fully native mobile social community app experience where prospective students primarily can all connect with each other. Um, and so in 2020, uh, COVID hits, uh, I think for the first time, colleges and universities realized, oh my goodness, wait, we, ha we actually have to have a way uh, to digitally have community and connections with these students. So that really put Zemi kind of in a bigger spotlight when COVID hit. And since then, I think all of these colleges and universities have discovered we, we really should have been doing this like this all along and building these relationships, really building these connections with students, helping them find their sense of belonging long before they ever arrive on campus. And I think that's what's key. Like at Zemi, we say, you know, connected students thrive. And the earlier in the process that these students can really be connected with each other, connected with your college team, connected with those resources, um, they're going to thrive one day when they do actually finally step foot on campus and begin the college journey. Absolutely. So it, and it's all about building trust, right? With these right. prospective students, it's like everything in business with a prospective client, with a prospective student. So what are some of the key elements to build trust um, with prospective students through online communities? And how does Zemi prioritize these elements? Yeah, it's a great question. I think sometimes I think, you know, when I look at a lot of the things we do in higher ed marketing, you know, are we are we talking at students or are we talking with these students? Um, are we truly being present and responsive? Um, you know, today's prospective student, you know, the days of, you know, just sending them emails and then, 
you know, maybe they do if if they would even email you back. Now it's you know five days before you've responded back to them. That's not the expectation of young people today. They want that instant connection. They want that instant uh, feedback. And so I think you've got to be present. You have to be responsive with them. For me, Chris, a big thing that I've really been preaching for, for years now is we need to spend a lot more time focusing on the relational aspect of how we can do things versus the transactional. Um, higher ed is very good at transactional information relay, you know, next steps here, sign up this, you're missing this. Now do, you know, we're very transactional, um, but we really should spend more time on just the relational forms of communication. And I think that's important. I've been doing a lot of research on these students. Uh, one of my good friends and colleagues, uh, colleague Raquel Bermejo, she works at RNL. We've been doing some really fascinating research on all of these uh, high school seniors. And when you look at what they're dealing with, you know, and you see how the things that they're focused on, their mental health, um, you know, finances, things around campus safety and security, like these are like, you know, a lot of their fears, their stresses, their anxieties. Do we do a good enough job talking about those things with students or are we only just still focused on, you know, our brand marketing pitches and those things? So I think being present, responsive, focusing a little more on relational versus transactional and not being afraid to get right there in the trenches with these students and talk about the things that they really want to talk about, the things that are most important to them. Those are those are some ways you 100% can start to build trust with these prospective students. Yeah, you want to meet your students where they are, exactly. not where you are, right? T yeah. you're, you know, pushing out your messages through emails and they may never look into their inbox because they get spammed um, 24 yeah. seven. So if you build that authentic community with them, there's going to be a, an element of trust there that, 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 that they'll be willing to open up. And it's because also we'll talk about this a little bit later with the peer to peer um, communication there as well. So yeah. authenticity is huge. Always has been, always will be. How can higher ed marketers create more authentic engagement opportunities for prospective students within online communities, you know, who who should be in there from the higher ed side? Yeah, I love that, right? So typically, you know, it's often going to be the enrollment folks, right? I mean, that's who is charged with recruiting, you know, bringing in that next class. So, you know, if we're talking about these online communities in that respect, you know, for, for future students, um, a lot of times it's going to be these enrollment teams. But I think one of the mistakes that I still see many colleges and universities making is when do we do that? Like, when does that community begin? And for many colleges and universities, they are still waiting until they have admitted students, right? Mm -hmm. So like, if we're waiting until we now have our admitted student class and now we're trying to start to give the opportunity to kind of build that community for them to meet each other, that's too late. Uh, what we found at Zemi is today's prospective student wants to connect from the very beginning. Like, I want to know who else is even thinking about this school. I don't even know if I want to apply yet. So I want to start to connect with everyone now. So that's one of my first things I would say. Uh, um, you know, let's don't wait. Let's give them the opportunity to start to come into community much earlier than what we've traditionally done. 
Um, I think uh, another way you can be much more authentic uh, with the engagement um, is around some of the events that we host. Um, once again, we tend to host very transactional events, right? Hey, sign up. We have this amazing financial aid webinar that we want you to sign up for. And it's really important because this year there's a lot of changes with FAFSA. And listen, I'm not saying that those events are not important. They are extremely important. But find me a 17 or 18 year old that walked away from one of those events running to their friends like, guys, I got to tell you about this most amazing financial aid event I was in and I can't wait to do it again. Like, so again, what I like to see colleges and universities do is also start doing more fun, relational type events where the students can just connect with each other. And oftentimes these events don't even have anything to do with the college or university. Um, so that's a way you can build some amazing, authentic engagement. And then two, we've been talking a lot recently just about, you know, how we leverage our current college students. Um, you know, I just hosted an episode of my, my So Hot Right Now uh, show that I have, and I had three current college students on. And I think the role of that tr traditional student ambassador that's just primarily focused on doing campus tours and those things, I think that role is changing. And so if you can begin to leverage these rock star current students as mm -hmm. true community influencers um, and not just the occasional still curated student takeover on Instagram, but really putting these current students in a place to be their authentic selves and build relationships with these prospective students, that builds a tremendous amount of authentic engagement. Now, you mentioned your show so hot. Now you gotta, you're going to have to shed some light, shut some light on that. What's, what do you offer there in that show? Yeah. So I don't even know what it is, Chris. Like, to, you know, honestly, today, everyone has a podcast and I mm -hmm. guess like I'm going to try to do something a little bit different. Um, so it's it's more a live. We do it live. And, you know, I was just talking about, you know, webinar type things and kind of giving them a hard time. But so it's this live show. I, I try to do it once a month or once every couple months. And really, you know, we've, we've called it, you know, so hot right now because I'm just trying to, I just want to bring in these, these hot topics, the, the trends, the things that are going on. And so for me, I just, you know, I leverage the show as a means of just me learning, right? Because I want to bring in experts and people that are, that really know their stuff and, um, and try to bring value to our space by just having some great guests on. So yes, mm -hmm. that's, that's what the show is all about. And you have perspective, you have actual students on that show? The last episode we did. Yeah. So the last episode was the focus was that change from traditional mm -hmm. student ambassador to now mm -hmm. more of that role of community influencer. And so rather than just have some higher ed pros on, I'm like, why don't we just bring three active college students that are doing this and uh, hear from them? So, yeah, that was a really cool episode. It's amazing uh, primary research opportunity for you there and for everybody oh, else listening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, go directly go go directly to the source. Yeah, get it from the horse's mouth, you know. If, right. if you have somebody sitting there who's, who's been detached for 20 years, it's one thing. I mean, they have the credentials and the experience, but you have somebody in there it's actually um living it. Uh, it's a whole right. other story. I did a I did a webinar in October with Dr. Carrie Phillips on the enrollment cliff, uh, demographic enrollment cliff and how to market to non-traditional students. Now, I was a non-traditional student, adult learner, graduated at the age of 39. So I brought my perspective on what 
worked and what didn't work and what these sort of students expect and what they want out of our college experience, you know? So I brought right. that side of it um, into the conversation, which was valuable to the audience as well. But communities, I've been part of a community before that sort of did, you know, it was there, yeah. but there was really no activity there. So how can, um, how can content be tailored not to only attract uh, prospective students, but also encourage active participation within the college communities? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, you know, a lot of times, Chris, when I think about this particular question or topic, I just think about how we've traditionally tried to do this for so many years in higher ed. And again, we know um, how amazing social and social platforms can be and that we can leverage these platforms. Uh, we've been doing it for years, right? Ever since Facebook has come along and, and every other platform we've leveraged since then. But to me, like there's always been this challenge of um, the way content works on traditional social platforms versus something like a new emerging platform like Zemi. And what I mean by that is, most of our traditional social platforms, well, really, they're, they're no longer even social platforms. They've all become ad platforms. But engagement is always dependent on content creation, mm -hmm. right? I mean, why am I following your Instagram account if you're not producing great content and reels? And why would I follow your TikTok channel if you're not cranking out great TikToks on a regular basis? So the engagement is dependent on content creation. When that happens... Now that drives our focus. Our focus just becomes, we've got to always, what's the latest trend? We've got to get this out. We've got to post something about International Cat Day. You know, it's like that becomes the priority. Um, what I love about a platform like Zemi is that content creation is not what drives engagement. What drives mm -hmm. engagement is that the students just want to chat with each other all day, every day. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's a real difference, right? And so it takes the pressure off of, the focus being on what we create kind of from a content standpoint to attract these students versus we just gave them the space to be chatting with each other all day. And now anything we do from a content standpoint is just added value, but we don't have that pressure mm -hmm. of the content calendar. And if we don't post something, we're going to lose this audience. Um, you know, on a platform like Zemi, that audience really never sleeps. They're just active all day, every day. So it's a big difference um, you know, and versus those traditional social platforms. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you gave me a tour of Zemi a couple of weeks ago, and you showed me around a little bit on what, how this works. And one of the key things about Zemi is that these prospective students, they build relationship with the people that are in there, in there, in the same boat, right? And Correct. by the time they get to campus, they know each other, right? There's some a familiarity, yeah. they make friends, right? And I'm sitting here as a 40, 40 year old, <laughs> I graduated at the age of 39. It was a completely different story, right? When I went to the university at the age of 30. But as a child, I went to boarding school, I left home at the age of 11. And I had such homesickness. I was so scared. It was always like, man, you know, I don't know anybody. I have to be there with these strangers. Um, so we can never forget that these 18, 19-year-old traditional students, they leave home and yeah. they may put on a front, right, to look cool. But internally, they may be really scared to first time away from home. They need somebody there to to feel comfortable with, to feel like they belong. So let's discuss the importance of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in creating yeah. an engaging um, community for prospective students. How important is that? 
Yeah, it is absolutely huge, right? And I I love talking about you know DEI. I think I always use when when the topic comes up, especially in context with Zemi. I love to use uh, USC University of Southern California as an example. One of my good friends, uh, colleague Curtis Ferguson, who works there in their enrollment division. He's just fabulous, um, amazing at what he does. But USC specifically leveraged Zemi. Um, with with a DEI focus, right? So they just recently had uh, record-breaking, their largest kind of incoming class um, when you look at Black students, their Black student enrollment. Uh, Curtis will tell you, like, that was Zemi. And the reason why was what they did, again, long before these prospective students would ever potentially step foot on campus, they were actually building relationships with those students in dedicated, we call them on Zemi, certain chat channels. Uh, they're just individual chat groups that have a, a certain purpose, right? So USC set up their, their Latinx chat channel, their, you know, like their Black Student Forum chat channel. And so now you've got these current USC students that uh, represent those specific uh, demographics, like actually in there on a daily basis just chatting and building the relationships with the prospective students. So now what that does, Chris, you know, that lets, you know, you know, a black student that's out there that's sitting like, do I, would I really fit at mm -hmm. USC? Do, do I really belong there? Or is anyone there like me that comes from where I come from or like, and so those barriers and those walls were instantly removed when those prospective students could clearly see, that's me, I do belong there, I do have a spot there. And so, you know, I love that through social, um, everyone can have a seat at the table, you know? And, and Zemi, when we look at just the demographics of the user base at Zemi, um, it's, there's so many first-gen students on Zemi, there's so many, traditionally underrepresented groups that that just are on Zemi all the time. So these students, you know, they all have access. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe not every student's going to be able to go and actually visit these schools in person, right? Mm -hmm. Like not every student has that ability or the means to visit three to four to five, you know, amazing schools. But Zemi like has become like a campus visit that just happens all day, every day. You're, mm -hmm. you're just always connected and experiencing the culture um, and those relationships and those important people that represent those schools. So I think breaking down those walls and barriers so that every prospective student, no matter who they are, where they come from, what their background is, letting all of them have access to these colleges and universities early in the process is so key. Yeah, that, that, is, a, that is such an important part to bring that belonging into the into the community or into the college, into your communication, just because, you know, from the outside looking in, there may be a, a unconscious bias where you think you do not belong. Um, right. You know, and there's a great story about Deion Sanders going to the University of Colorado in Boulder. Yeah. Right. And there's 80% yeah. of these students are white, but yeah. he comes in there, right. And all of a sudden this opens up this whole new world like a lot of his players that came from uh, Jackson State, they've never seen snow. They've never seen the mountains. But now all of a sudden, you know, that right. that, that African-American community, they're, they're looking at Colorado and they're like, hey, there may be a place yeah. for me. Absolutely. absolutely. And I think, Chris, like that's a perfect example. And too, like, again, you know, again, you think about just from a higher ed marketing standpoint, okay, it's not enough on your printed promotional materials to just pick the picture 
of the six students and all six represent a different ethnicity. Like everyone sees through that, right? Like you're not fooling anyone by, you know, just going to your website. Obviously, if I go to your website, I'm going to see every ethnic, you know, represent, you know, I'm going to see all that, but that's not enough. Like it needs to be real and, and we need to be connecting these prospective students to real students uh, so that those relationships can be built. And so, yeah, I think, you know, Zemi definitely has kind of championed that as a new emerging social platform to really allow that to take place. Yeah, absolutely. Now, of course, marketers, you want the budget, you got to have the budget, but, but also you got to back it up with data, right? Oh, or yeah. Data, as my wife would say. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> what should marketers be focusing on to improve engagement and build trust with prospective students? You know, and how can this data inform strategies? How how can they make data informed strategies when partnering with a company like Zemi? Yeah, okay. I gotta share with you a quick backstory here. So the last school where I was serving as dean of admissions, you know, before I transitioned to Zemi. Um, I got called into one of those, you know, cabinet meetings with, you know, with my vice president, the president, you know, all the other, you know, high level executives uh, for the institution. And the topic of, you know, what we were doing from a marketing standpoint with social came up. And of course, um, I managed all of our efforts with, with social and marketing. And they started asking me, Chris, these questions like, okay, soup, that's great. We know that you've increased our following on Instagram from whatever, you know, from, from 50,000 to 75,000. But then they started asking, so can you tell us who the students actually are? Or are they students? Can you tell us um, who are the juniors versus who are the seniors? Of all those Instagram followers, can you tell us the contact information for the juniors? Or have they visited or have they not visited? Or Soup, we know you did some really neat things with Snapchat. Can you quantify the ROI that had on Summer Melt? Uh, just in the reality, Chris, it's so difficult to answer those questions because our traditional social platforms if we're being honest, they really only give us kind of vanity metrics and data. You know, Meta's never going to give us the good mm -hmm. stuff. So when I joined Zemi in 2018, one of the first things that I told our team was, hey, 100%, we're going to build a social platform for students. That's we, we build for students. That's why this thing's become successful. But let's build a social platform that will, for the first time, allow colleges and universities to own this data to finally be able to see behind the curtain of, of the amazing data that you could have access to uh, from a social platform. And so to me, some of the next level data um, that colleges and universities have access to on Zemi are, are behavioral analytics, yes. right? Like, I mean, these students are, I'm not joking, like they're on this app all day, every day. Like right now they're averaging 13 to 15 times per day, they're active on mm -hmm. this, this platform. So you can measure what they're thinking, what they're saying, what they're doing. And so from an enrollment standpoint, we've often relied on more traditional predictive variables, you know, when we're trying to predict if a student's going to matriculate, you know, distance from campus, or, you know, we're looking at their zip code, we're looking at family socioeconomics, have they visited, not visited, and like, we're using those type of variables. On Zemi, minute by minute, hour by hour, we're able to predict with 90% accuracy if the student is going to attend. And we can start doing that before the student mm -hmm. even submitted an application. 
And that, so like, that's an example. I mean, at any given time, knowing who are the students in our community that are highly engaged, that are moderately engaged, that are in the low bucket, you know, so we can prioritize who do we really need to be communicating with right now. I think those are things that are really next level on Zimi. But again, I always stress, we've got to get to a place where we, we stop being focused on chasing the likes, chasing the algorithms. And again, we've got to put the focus on building real connections and relationships. That's that's the key. But yeah, I think Zimi's become one of the first social platforms that colleges and universities can own versus all of the others that they leverage where the reality is they just have a rented audience. I mean, That's right. let's say you, you had built this amazing community on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Well, we've all seen, you know, the change in Twitter. Twitter. So like, you never know. You could have invested all this time, years, energy, and a platform could change the rules on you. And mm -hmm. then, you know, you're left with, maybe we can't reach this audience that we built there anymore. So Zemi's been the social platform that's literally been built for students uh, and also for colleges and universities. And they they help guide what we build, the features. Um, so it's it's super exciting to to finally have a platform that that the schools can really own and leverage. Yeah, there's the argument of the rented land, as Joe Paluzzi would call it, versus the the owned yeah. land. Right. Yeah. So what what, what are some of the, some what are some of the common barriers? to engaging prospective students in online communities and how can these be overcome? I'm sure that some people get overly zealous and then they are jumping in those communities and they get a little bit of salesy and that's a turnoff. Yeah, well, I think that's, yeah, you hit on it, right? Like I think first, if I'm being honest, if we're all being honest, you know, 16, 17, 18 year olds in these social communities the reality is they they really don't want to share a social community with adults, mm -hmm. right? So like, that's one of the first kind of challenges and barriers. Like my youngest son is a high school senior. He doesn't want to be connected with me on mm -hmm. anything social, right? It's his peers. And mm -hmm. so I think one of the challenges we've always faced in higher ed is we think we can just interject ourselves. You know, every a new platform will come out and we just think, Oh, well, we'll we'll jump right into the space with them when maybe they don't want us in that space. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe they don't want, you know, us to be, you know, trying to connect with them on TikTok or different things, you know. So, like, we have to be careful and recognize that. So it's a very delicate balance of can we be involved in a community where they are when really they they typically don't want to be with, with all the adults. I think that's something to kind of keep into consideration. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Zemi, sometimes when I think about Zemi, there's a lot of times I still think it's kind of a miracle, right? Because it's just, we found something where we found this unique balance with this shared space where the students do want to be able to connect with folks on the college side. So that's, that's rare. Um, mm -hmm. Again, I think we've already kind of touched on it a little bit, but you need to know whatever platform that you're going to try to use to kind of host this community, you know, you that those platforms have certain limitations, mm -hmm. they can change. So, you, you know, gosh, all of us that have been in this game for a long time, you know, I, 
we've always been frustrated with the Facebooks of the world because every time we think we've got it figured out, they're changing something or, and now we've got to adapt. So that, that puts a lot of pressure and stress when you're constantly having to adapt to what these platforms are doing. Um, and again, like, as, as I mentioned, I think just that lack of, of understanding of what students are really expecting mm -hmm. and looking for and, and, and understand that I'll give you the example there are probably still some colleges and universities out there that once they have their admitted students are are telling them, hey, we set up a admitted student Facebook group for you. And like, I mean, come on, like that's not the platform for these mm -hmm. kids anymore, mm -hmm. you know? And so now you're you're forcing them to create an account on a platform that's their grandparents' platform, mm -hmm. you know, and all they're going to do is hop on and just exchange their Snap and Insta handles and and so, like, we need to understand what the students expect, where they are, the communities that they are in, that they want you to be in. You know, Reddit, you know, is, has a very unique and like you, you've got to understand the culture of, of these communities before you just dive in and think that you can have a presence there with those students. Reddit's one of the perfect examples. It's a very unique culture and etiquette. And, you know, a college can just think, well, yeah, we're just going to jump in there and, mm -hmm. you know, start doing our salesy stuff and dropping some marketing pieces. And I mean, those kids, they will run you out of there, you know, faster than you can imagine. So, you know, those are some of just the, you know, the common barriers that you need to think about and consider when you're trying to find the best way to have a community with these students. Absolutely. It's funny when you said that they don't want to be in, in on platforms where the adults are. I mean, that never changes. I mean, my mom, yeah. if I post something on Facebook <laughs> and she doesn't like it, she doesn't comment on it, but she calls me and says, hey, what was that all about? And I'm like, dang, man, now I can't be authentic on Facebook anymore. I'm moving over to LinkedIn, you know, so exactly. gotta be, gotta be aware exactly. of that. <laughs> yeah, that's a great example. But, um, you know, the, the enrollment cliff's coming up. It's going to be some changes in the higher ed landscape. So how do you see the landscape of student engagement and community building evolve in the next few years? Yeah, I think one thing that really comes to mind for me, Chris, and this, again, I've been working with all my friends on the college and university side, is helping them truly understand that digital community is real community. Mm -hmm. It might not have been for me. You know, for at my age, you know, at 47 years old, like I use the example all the time. Like when I was a high school senior, Chris, my friendships were dependent on the physical, you know, environment around me. It's like who I sat next to in class, who I had practice with after school, who were the kids that lived in the surrounding blocks in my neighborhood, right? Like that's the physical space defined who my friendships were. That's not the world we live in anymore. Mm -hmm. Again, my youngest son, high school senior, he's been online gaming with this guy that I just know as Frank in Boston since they were in third grade. And I tell everybody, like, I pray that Frank is actually a similar age to my son and not like a 35-year-old in his parents' mm -hmm. basement. But my son would tell you that Frank's probably one of his closest friends and they may never meet in person. And so today's young people are not limited to the physical space around them for actual meaningful friendship mm -hmm. and relationships. So the earlier in the process that you can come into community with these prospective students and start to build that relationship, help them find their sense of belonging with you and your institution, the better. And so that's one of the big shifts. I want higher ed to continue mm -hmm. to understand 
that your community, the student community doesn't begin when they first step foot on campus and start their classes in the fall semester. It begins long before that. And so I, that's a big thing. And then, of course, the, the one thing that we're all talking about is all things AI and what in the world is that going to look like in the coming years and uh, the amazing potential that's there, but also uh, potential dangers that we need to caution ourselves around. So I'm, I'm very fascinated with all things AI and again, mm -hmm. you know, making sure the way we leverage technology like AI, are we going to leverage it where it benefits us, you know, are we going to try to leverage it where it can benefit the student or are mm -hmm. we going to find the balance uh, for both? And so I'm really interested in the coming years to see how AI continues to become a major part of, of the work that we all do. AI is here to stay. That's for oh, sure. Yeah, yeah no so, doubt. Soup, this was an enlightening conversation. Thank you for your time. How can people connect with you if you want to learn more about Zimi or yourself? Oh, absolutely, Chris. I love this. Um, I'm big on LinkedIn. I just, I love the LinkedIn platform and um, I love connecting with folks. Uh, I promise I don't use it as a sales tool. I'm not a part of our sales team. So no one feel like if you connect with me, uh, that's what you're going to get. I'm just very relational. I love to learn from folks. So yeah, if you're out there and we're not already connected on LinkedIn, I would love to be connected and learn a little bit more about who you are. And uh, yeah, that's that's the best place to track me down. Folks, connect with Soup. It's, he's a worthy follow. Soup, thanks so much for being part of the show today. Chris, this was awesome. I'm so happy that you invited me on. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, look forward to maybe down the road, we can do it again sometime. Let's do it. Thanks. Take care, my friend. All right. Thanks, Chris. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show today. If you enjoyed it, don't keep it to yourself. Share with your friends in your network. And if you have a moment, I would really appreciate a review of the podcast. That'll help other people find the show as well. Tune in every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. when I release another episode. Take care now. Have a good one, friends.